well, well thanks Sarah, and thanks for the opportunity to say a few words. If, if colleagues don't mind, I'm going to remain uh, seated. I'm only five foot five, so it doesn't really make much difference <laughs> if I'm stood or I'm sat down, but uh, maybe you know, keep it a little bit more informal. Um, I mean, first of all, thanks for the opportunity to say a few words, and it is good to be uh, here this morning with you know, friends, former colleagues, uh, and comrades uh, from across uh, the movement. I, I was just reflecting actually when I was putting together my remarks yesterday. I know this morning we're going to spend a lot of time looking at the larger, some of the, the great figures in the trade union labour movement's uh, history. Maybe just to, to point out that there are a few people in the room and on the agenda today, I think, who played their own important part in the recent history of the trade union uh, movement, and in fact, in my personal history as well. I mean, the first is probably uh, John Edmonds. John was the general secretary of the GMB when I first joined the GMB as a, uh, a member in Asda, working part-time when I was uh, 17. The first conversation I ever had with a senior union leader, and John won't remember this, but I, I very vividly do, is I buttonholed John and indeed Richard Hyman, whose seminal book, Strikes, I've just read as an earnest young shop steward, in the gents' toilet of Wally Range College in Manchester, um, berating John about the shortcomings of the partnership deal. I think the GMB just signed, I think it was with Phillips, and John very politely and patiently listened to me uh, explain why this deal was a bad deal. You know, Literally, I don't think it was a good look stood at the urinals berating the general secretary on that issue, but uh, I always remember John being very patient and very kind. Thank goodness we didn't shake hands. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, this, the second John I should mention, and I know we'll be a long way for this afternoon, is John Monks, who's the general secretary who, who appointed me to my first job at the TUC, which is something he probably regrets, but I certainly uh, don't. But I think John will go down as one of the great general secretaries of the TUC, somebody who reformed the organisation when it needed reform, and, and somebody who actually oversaw that quite difficult transition from you know, the, uh, the TUC dealing with uh, uh, Labour being in opposition and to moving into that sort of engagement and sometimes even constructive engagement with the Labour Party from 1997 uh, onwards. And last but by no means least, obviously, to mention Sarah. And, I mean, Sarah and I worked together for 15 years mm -hmm. and I'm not just saying it because you sat there, Sarah, but I think Sarah was certainly one of the most impressive people I've ever worked alongside, always on top of a brief, brief brilliant on the media and someone that we still occasionally call for advice and guidance, even now uh, from the TUC. Uh, I think what I was asked to do is maybe say, take a little look back at the TUC's history, but also maybe think about um, you know, the challenges and opportunities that, that lie ahead for us. And so I want to start by saying that a couple of words about our history. It will just be a few words, but then pick up those, those challenges. It was 150 years ago this year that, the, that those first pioneers came together in Manchester, founded uh, the TUC. The organisation has changed a lot since then, and rightly so. It's our job to make sure that we adapt to the changing nature of society and the changing uh, world of work. But I like to think that the fundamentals and the values that brought those early pioneers together 150 years ago still hold true today and inform the work that we do in the TUC and our affiliated uh, unions now. So a belief that everybody uh, should have a decent job, should be entitled to a fair day's pay, to have job security, a belief that everybody, every human being deserves to be treated with dignity and respect in the workplace and beyond. But perhaps above all, maybe a, a belief in solidarity, that by coming together we're stronger and we achieve so much more. And I think that's true of individual workers in workplaces, but it's also true of unions and the TUC. Um, Maybe just two reflections on our, on our history, two reflections, I know it doesn't do uh, justice to 150 years uh, of history, but the first one will be this. We, we are going to talk this morning about the contributions made by great individuals uh, to the labour and trade union movement. But I think that the real power of our movement is precisely that, that we are a movement. So it's not just about general set days, and it's not just about full-time officers. It is the fact that we are millions of people uh, bound together 
uh, by a belief that we are collectively stronger together. And it's that collective strength, that collective voice that's allowed us to help shape British workplaces and indeed British society over the last 150 years. And that's maybe the second reflection, which is, while we haven't always been on the right side of history every time, and on the right side of every campaign every time, I think it's hard to think of any progressive change in British society over the last 150 years, uh, or indeed more where unions haven't played uh, a central role, not just doing the bread and butter stuff that we would expect in terms of pay terms and conditions and better uh, employment rights and fights for decent uh, work, but also you know those fights for universal suffrage, for universal education, healthcare, the welfare state, uh, you know, equal pay legislation, laws against discrimination, I mean, national minimum wage, where you can think of an issue that's advanced our society over the last 150 years, I think unions uh, have played a part. And I think we, we are rightly proud at the TUC, and our unions are rightly proud that who, whoever is in government, and whatever the state of party politics, we have, if you like, spun this unbroken thread throughout history uh, in terms of progressive social change, and I think that's a legacy to be proud of. Obviously, the my job and the job of everybody in the trade union movement is not to reflect on our past glories, but to think about how we actively shape the movement so that it is fit for purpose going forward and that we are as relevant to the next generation of workers as we have been to generations before. So I thought uh, what I'd do just over the next 10 minutes or so is just talk about three big challenges and also opportunities. Um, again, this is not meant to be an exhaustive or comprehensive list of challenges, but maybe give you a bit of an idea of what we see as, as our priorities at the TUC. And then, if, if people got questions, comments, happy to respond to those if, that, if that's useful. I mean, the first is maybe um, to start with an immediate challenge, and it's the dreaded B word, which is obviously Brexit. We're now less than 180 days away from Britain leaving uh, the European Union. We don't know what the final deal will look like. In fact, we don't know if there will be uh, a final deal, but we do know that the outcome of those negotiations is going to have a profound impact on uh, our economy, our labour market, the nature of our society uh, looking ahead. Our starting point the day after the referendum um, and we campaigned hard uh, for Britain to, to remain in the European Union, but once that referendum result came in, our starting point was that we needed a Brexit deal that was going to protect jobs, that was going to protect employment rights and social protections and protect uh, that Good Friday agreement in Northern Ireland. And I think over the last 17 or 18 months we've been actively working to try and uh, achieve that, not just releasing press releases and reports, but engaging with the government, engaging with politicians across the spectrum, uh, talking to the EU negotiating team, talking to our sister movements across Europe and to the ETUC, working with organisations like the CBI to press those priorities around jobs, employment rights and the Good Friday agreements. I think as an organisation and as a group of unions collectively, we've had some successes. We were one of the first organisations nationally to call for a transition period uh, to allow for a, a sensible uh, withdrawal. We've managed to secure a commitment from governments and take it with a pinch of salt because we don't know what that commitment will look like. Uh, uh, in black and white, but to protect employment rights, and that's important. And I think we've managed to build a consensus across our unions, not a unanimous consensus, there are one or two that are still outside uh, the tent, but a consensus that actually, as far as we can see, that the best option available on the table at the moment is remaining in the single market and the customs union, not because we're particularly wedded to the single market and customs union, but because that is the best uh, that's on offer at the moment and meet our tests on jobs, rights and Northern Ireland. And I think we've also helped to move the debate on politically about saying if the government doesn't meet those tests or doesn't uh, deliver uh, a deal, uh, we don't want to go out on no deal terms, we think it's important that we go back to the public in terms of a public vote or a general uh, election. Now, 
We are at the final stages of that negotiation. I think more positive noises coming out just this uh, morning, but we know a bad Brexit deal would be bad for our members across the economy, but in some of our most important sectors like automotive and aerospace. We know it will leave pieces of legislation like around working time, paid holidays, vulnerable. And we've long been in the sight of the likes of Michael Gove and Boris Johnson. And we know a bad deal would also jeopardise that fragile piece in Northern Ireland, and actually a piece in Northern Ireland that unions play an important part and secure. So I think our, our immediate priority is the next 180 days trying to do what we can to try and shape uh, or to, to influence the negotiations to speak up for the interests of working people. But whatever the outcome of those negotiations, to make sure that we're still uh, ready to support our unions and also to make the case. And I think you know, let's, we could have a, a whole different seminar on why people voted for Brexit, but I think reflecting the fact that lots of people voted to leave and voted for change because there are bigger fundamental problems in our economy, whether it's the fact that you know, uh, we've got an economy that is very good at creating low paid, low skill, insecure employment. We've got big issues we know with the lack of investment in the UK economy with productivity, imbalanced economy, not just between sectors, but between different parts of the country, cuts to our public services and so on. So we've still got a lot to do above and beyond Brexit in terms of making the case for a different sort of economy that works for working people. So Brexit's a big challenge, it's not the only challenge. Maybe just to, to pick out two more that I think um, are sort of occupying our time at the TUC at the moment, which I think are important. The first is, is, is how we respond to, or probably more importantly, how we shape this coming wave of digitalisation and automation and new technology coming into uh, workplaces. And my starting point is I've never been one of those people who just thinks we're going to lose millions of jobs for the robots and we're all doomed. Uh, but my starting point is that you know, technological change can bring benefits. It's how you shape that change and how you distribute those benefits that's going to be important. And you know, certainly for unions and our members, what we can't afford to do is to be passive recipients uh, of that change. So it is think about how new technology is introduced, how its benefits are fairly shared, how workers are engaged and supported through this process of industrial uh, transformation, and crucially for us at the moment, making the case that unions need to be at the table. At the table in terms of workplaces, but at the table at the sectoral level, and with national companies as well and shaping some of these uh, big issues. Now, in some sectors where unions, I mean, if you think about some of those key sectors like automotive, like aerospace, like nuclear, unions are at the table. We are bargaining with employers uh, on these issues. Nationally, uh, we're working with the CPI and with the government on the National Retraining Partnership, which is designed to think about how we do support workers through some of these transitions. But I think it's really important that unions aren't just put in the box mark skills so, you know, you can have a discussion about skills but nothing else. We do need to be involved in much more uh, uh, strategic discussions about workforce, uh, workforce planning, about how our benefit system supports those who have to retrain uh, and reskill. And obviously, in, in order to support that, we do need that renaissance of collective uh, bargaining. And, and also, you know, thinking about ways that workers can influence the big strategic decisions that impact on their everyday working lives. So, uh, we've long called for workers to be placed on board. It was something the Prime Minister uh, picked up a couple of years ago and then dropped very quickly in the face of opposition from the TS, from the CBI, uh, something John McDonnell revived at Labour's conference uh, last week and something which I think actually, particularly in the light of the collapse of Caribbean, uh, and you know, that's just one scandal that's followed on from BHS, that's followed on from WhatsApp, that's Sports Direct and all the rest of it. Actually, I think that there's a public mood that there is a value in shining a light into Britain's boardroom and workers haven't seen those big strategic decisions that impact on their working lives. And it is also an opportunity for us to say there are going to be technological benefits. Who's going to share in those benefits? And one of the things we called for at our Congress just a couple of weeks ago was that if the UK economy is going to get a £200 billion a year boost 
from new technology over the course of the next decade. It is right to think about what's the 21st century equivalent of a four-day working week, or a shorter working day, or a, a, an end to the inexorable rise of, of pension uh, ages, and making sure that the people that we represent get their uh, fair share. So, dealing with Brexit, uh, making the case for a new sort of economy, dealing with automation and digitalisation. I suppose the sort of third and sort of final sort of priority I've, I've sort of outlined uh, is, is integral to both of those really, because if we are going to shape that Brexit deal, if we're going to have any influence on governments and any influence on employers, what we need is a stronger, growing trade union movement, and the trade union movement in particular is relevant to the next generation of workers uh, coming through. And there are things that we can do and have done I think, you know, we don't know what the political scene is going to throw up over the next few months and years. We don't know if there'll be an early election, whether the government hangs on until 2022. We've got a Labour Party that is committed to supporting unions, is talking to us about sectoral collective bargaining, some of those issues around working on boards. I suppose my reflection would be that that is important, but we can't wait for a Labour government to come along. We've got to do our job right here, right now, uh, to, to, to do what we can to reach out to that next generation of, of trade unions. So just maybe talk about a couple of things. In June, to mark our 150th anniversary, we launched a new digital pilot uh, called WorkSmart. This is slightly unusual for us in that it is a, a structured innovation process. We've spent 18 months planning researching this, including uh, lots of work with young workers themselves. We've got over 100 young workers to keep WhatsApp diaries to tell us about what their experience of working like was, uh, what they would want from a trade union, what they want in terms of support at work. And WorkSmart is a small-scale pilot that's really testing out some of those ideas, and it's about supporting people to get on at work, to progress at work, and to develop uh, skills at work. But crucially, it's something that we don't want to just passively deliver to people. It's uh, meant and designed to be something that breaks down those barriers to collective organising as well, because one of the, you know, the key sets of violence that we found from the, the work that we did with those young workers, a lot of it people would expect, they didn't know what we, we do, didn't know what unions do, were sceptical about whether or not they could make any positive difference to their working lives, the sort of sense that this is what work's like and I just have to put up with it. But one of the big barriers we identified is that people just don't trust the people that they, they work alongside and they, they were worried about raising their voice, not just with the manager, but alongside the people that they work with. So finding ways to build confidence, to connect people and to build that sense of collective organising is really important. Now, on WorkSmart, just to say, I don't know whether it's going to be a rip-roaring success or frankly we can get to the end of the pilot in March and say that was an interesting idea and we can learn this one but we'll move on to something else. But I think it's absolutely right that we're trying something new and something innovative and something different. And this is not substitute for trade union membership. I don't think we want to substitute for the organising work our unions have done. I think some really interesting, I mean, you only have to look this week. On Thursday, we saw young workers taking that strike action in TGI Fridays, in McDonald's, uh, in Uber. Uh, 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 it, uh, you know, I mean, this is small scale stuff, but I think quite important. I mean, McDonald's, uh, we're talking about handfuls of people, but I don't think there's any coincidence that Earlier this year, McDonald's gave staff its biggest pay rise for I think the previous five or six years and gave people the right to guaranteed hours, not just zero hours contracts. And I think they did that because the spotlight is on them. And I think it's important we support all of that day to day organising work that unions are doing. But WorkSmart is an attempt to try something different, and hopefully, uh, we can learn lessons as a TUC, but unions can as well. We'll be talking to unions over the course of the next few months about things like digital branches to support people who've come through the WorkSmart uh, route. So, I'm conscious of time, sir, and I'm conscious I probably haven't done the issues justice in terms of it's hard to do in 15 minutes, a reflection on the last 150 years and a reflection on our priorities uh, going forward. But I mean, I, I would say 
and maybe in conclusion, as a trade unionist, um, I'm an optimist. And I, and, I, and I do genuinely sense that the public mood, the political wind is starting to turn in our favour. And you can see that. I mean, if you take issues like zero hours contracts, it doesn't matter which party you vote for. People don't like zero hours contracts. People believe that people should be treated with decency uh, at work. And I think that we're beginning to see the signs across the trade union movement, whether it's the work that Ulster's doing in Little or Home Bargains, the work I've already talked about that Unite and others are doing in TGI Fridays and McDonald's, the work that the GMB's done in terms of legal challenges in Uber and Hermes, a sense that the movement is back on the front foot. Uh, I think that's something that we have to encourage and support uh, if we're going to have movements fit for the next 150 years as well.